This is day 43 of our daily Bible reading plan. We will be reading the last chapter of Joshua, and then we will go into the book of Judges and read chapters 1 through 4. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for being our leader. Thank you for being a compassionate, loving God who does not tolerate injustice and does not tolerate evil. Rather, you strengthen us, Lord, and you give us peace on all sides. And we ask that you would just continue to strengthen your people in the midst of all this chaos, in the midst of all this opposition towards you, that you would just comfort us at this time and give us the strength to speak boldly in your name and to share the gospel with those who need to desperately hear it. Please show us your will in your word today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and called for the elders of Israel, and for their heads, and for their judges, and their officers. And they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, From ancient times your fathers lived beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river, and led him through all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants, and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and to Esau I gave Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt by what I did in its midst, and afterward I brought you out. I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and Egypt pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. But when they cried out to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, and brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your own eyes saw what I did in Egypt, and you lived in the wilderness for a long time. Then I brought you into the land of the Amorites, who lived beyond the Jordan, and they fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land when I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel, and he sent and summoned Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I was not willing to listen to Balaam, so he had to bless you and I delivered you from his hand. You crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the citizens of Jericho fought against you, and the Amorite, and the Perizzite, and the Canaanite, and the Hittite, and the Girgashite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Thus I gave them into your hand. Then I sent the hornets before you, and it drove out the two kings of the Amorites from before you, but not by your sword or your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities which you had not built, and you have lived in them. You are eating of vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage, and who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us through all the way in which we went, and among all the peoples through whose midst we passed. The Lord drove out from before us all the people, even the Amorites who lived in the land. 
we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. Then Joshua said to the people, You will not be able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgression or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done good to you. The people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves, that you have chosen for yourselves the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Now therefore put away the foreign gods which are in your midst, and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, We will serve the Lord our God, and we will obey his voice. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day, and made for them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote those words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be for a witness against us, for it has heard all of the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. Thus it shall be for a witness against you, so that you do not deny your God. Then Joshua dismissed the people, each to his inheritance. It came about after these things that Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being one hundred and ten years old. And they buried him in the territory of his inheritance in Timnath-serah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, on the north of Mount Gaash. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua, and had known all the deeds of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Now, they buried the bones of Joseph, which the sons of Israel brought up from Egypt at Shechem, in the piece of ground which Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for one hundred pieces of money, and they became the inheritance of Joseph's sons. And Eliezer, the son of Aaron, died, and they buried him at Gibeah of Phinehas, his son, which was given him in the hill country of Ephraim. Now it came about after the death of Joshua that the sons of Israel inquired of the Lord, saying, Who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? The Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. Then Judah said to Simeon his brother, Come up with me into the territory allotted me, that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I, in turn, will go with you into the territory allotted you. So Simeon went with him. Judah went up, and the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hands, and they defeated ten thousand men at Bezek. They found Adoni Bezek in Bezek and fought against him and they defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. But Adonibazek fled, and they pursued him, and caught him, and cut off his thumbs and big toes. Adonibazek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and their big toes cut off used to gather up scraps under my table. As I have done, so God has repaid me. So they brought him to Jerusalem, and he died there. Then the sons of Judah fought against Jerusalem, and captured it, and struck it with the edge of the sword, and set the city on fire. Afterward, the sons of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites, living in the hill country, and in the Negev, and in the lowland. So Judah went against the Canaanites, who lived in Hebron. Now the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba. And they struck 
Shishai, and Ahiman, and Talmai. Then from there he went against the inhabitants of Debir. Now the name of Debir formerly was Kiriath Sefer. And Caleb said, The one who attacks Kiriath Sefer and captures it, I will even give him my daughter Aksa for a wife. Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, captured it. So he gave him his daughter Aksa for a wife. Then it came about when she came to him that she persuaded him to ask her father for a field. Then she alighted from her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Give me a blessing, since you have given me the land of the Negev. Give me also springs of water. So Caleb gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. The descendants of the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, went up from the city of Palms with the sons of Judah to the wilderness of Judah, which is in the south of Arad. And they went and lived with the people. Then Judah went with Simeon, his brother, and they struck the Canaanites living in Zephthah and utterly destroyed it. So the name of the city was called Hormah. And Judah took Gaza with its territory, and Ashkelon with its territory, and Ekron with its territory. Now the Lord was with Judah, and they took possession of the hill country. But they could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley, because they had iron chariots. Then they gave Hebron to Caleb, as Moses had promised, and he drove out from there the three sons of Anak. But the sons of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites have lived with the sons of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. Likewise, the house of Joseph went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. The house of Joseph spied out Bethel. Now the name of the city was formerly Luz. The spies saw a man coming out of the city, and they said to him, Please show us the entrance to the city, and we will treat you kindly. So he showed them the entrance to the city, and they struck the city with the edge of the sword, but they let the man and all his family go free. The man went into the land of the Hittites and built a city and named it Luz, which is its name to this day. But Manasseh did not take possession of Beth Shean and its villages, or Teanuk and its villages, or the inhabitants of Dor and its villages, or the inhabitants of Iblium and its villages, or the inhabitants of Megiddo and its villages. So the Canaanites persisted in living in that land. It came about when Israel became strong that they put the Canaanites to forced labor but they did not drive them out completely. Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites who were living in Gezer, so the Canaanites lived in Gezer among them. Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants of Kitron, or the inhabitants of Nahalol, so the Canaanites lived among them and became subject to forced labor. Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of Akko, or the inhabitants of Sidon, or of Alab, or of Akzib, or of Helba, or of Afik, or of Rehob. So the Asherites lived among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, or the inhabitants of Beth Anath, but lived among the Canaanites the inhabitants of the land, and the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath became forced labor for them. Then the Amorites forced the sons of Dan into the hill country, for they did not allow them to come to the valley. Yet the Amorites persisted in living in Mount Harris, in Aijalon, and in Shealbum. But when the power of the house of Joseph grew strong, 
they became forced labor. The border of the Amorites ran from the ascent of Akrabim, from Salah and upward. Now the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bokum, and he said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land which I have sworn to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And as for you, you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars. But you have not obeyed me. What is this that you have done? Therefore I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they will become as thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a snare to you. When the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the sons of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. So they named the place Bochum, and there they sacrificed to the Lord. When Joshua had dismissed the people, the sons of Israel went each to his inheritance to possess the land. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua, who had seen all the great work of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the territory of his inheritance in Timnath Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. All that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, and they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them, and bowed themselves down to them. Thus they provoked the Lord to anger. So they forsook the Lord, and served Baal and the Ashtaroth. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he gave them into the hands of plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies around them, so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil. As the Lord had spoken, and as the Lord had sworn to them, so that they were severely distressed. Then the Lord raised up judges who delivered them from the hands of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they played the harlot after other gods and bowed themselves down to them. They turned aside quickly from the way in which their fathers had walked in obeying the commands of the Lord. They did not do as their fathers. When the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and delivered them from the hands of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning, because of those who oppressed and afflicted them. But it came about when the judge died that they would turn back and act more corruptly than their fathers in following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They did not abandon their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he said, because this nation has transgressed my covenant, which I have commanded their fathers, and has not listened to my voice, I also will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died, in order to test Israel by them, whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk in it as their fathers did, or not. So the Lord allowed those nations to remain not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. Now these are the nations which the Lord left to test Israel by them, that is, all who had not experienced any of the wars of Canaan. 
only in order that the generations of the sons of Israel might be taught war, those who had not experienced it formerly. These nations are the five lords of the Philistines, and all the Canaanites, and the Sidonians, and the Hivites who lived in Mount Lebanon, from Mount Baal Hermon as far as Lebohamath. They were for testing Israel to find out if they would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he had commanded their fathers through Moses. The sons of Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and they took their daughters for themselves as wives, and gave their own daughters to their sons, and served other gods. The sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and forgot the Lord their God, and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, so that he sold them into the hands of Cushan Rishathayim, king of Mesopotamia. And the sons of Israel served Cushan Rishathayim eight years. When the sons of Israel cried to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the sons of Israel to deliver them, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel. When he went out to war, the Lord gave Cushan Rishathayim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, so that he prevailed over Cushan Rishathayim. Then the land had rest forty years, and Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. Now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And he gathered to himself the sons of Ammon and Amalek, and he went and defeated Israel and they possessed the city of the palm trees. The sons of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, eighteen years. But when the sons of Israel cried to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. And the sons of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, the king of Moab. Ehud made himself a sword which had two edges, a cubit in length, and he bound it on his right thigh under his cloak. He presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man. It came about when he had finished presenting the tribute that he had sent away the people who had carried the tribute. But he himself turned back from the idols which were at Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he said, Keep silence. And all who attended him left him. Ehud came to him while he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And he arose from his seat. Ehud stretched out his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. The handle also went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade, for he did not draw the sword out of his belly, and the refuse came out. Then Ehud went out into the vegetable and shut the doors of the roof chamber behind him, and locked them. When he had gone out, his servants came and looked, and behold, the doors of the roof chamber were locked. And they said, He is only relieving himself in the cool room. They waited until they became anxious. But behold, he did not open the doors of the roof chamber. Therefore they took the key and opened it. And behold, their master had fallen to the floor dead. Now Ehud escaped while they were delaying, 
and he passed by the idols and escaped to Sarah. It came about when he had arrived that he blew the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim, and the sons of Israel went down with him from the hill country, and he was in front of them. He said to them, Pursue them, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hands. So they went down after him and seized the fords of the Jordan opposite Moab, and did not allow anyone to cross. They struck down at that time about ten thousand Moabites, all robust and valiant men, and no one escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land was undisturbed for eighty years. After him came Shamgar, the son of Anath, who struck down six hundred Philistines with an ox goad, and he also saved Israel. Then the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord, after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. And the commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harosheth Hagoyim. The sons of Israel cried to the Lord, for he had nine hundred iron chariots, and he oppressed the sons of Israel severely for twenty years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm tree of Deborah, between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the sons of Israel came up to her for judgment. Now she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, to, from Kadesh, Naphtali, and said to him, Behold, the Lord, the God of Israel, has commanded, Go and march to Mount Tabor, and take with you ten thousand men from the sons of Naphtali and from the sons of Zebulun. I will draw out to you Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his many troops, to the river Kishon, and I will give him into your hand. Then Barak said to her, If you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. She said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the honor shall not be yours on the journey that you are about to take. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali together to Kadesh, and ten thousand men went up with him. Deborah also went up with him. Now Heber, the Kenite, had separated himself from the Kenites, from the sons of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak in Zaananim, which is near Kadesh. Then they told Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. Sisera called together all his chariots, nine hundred iron chariots, and all the people who were with him, from Harosheth Hagoyim to the river Kishon. Deborah said to Barak, Arise, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Behold, the Lord has gone out before you. So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with ten thousand men following him. The Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled away on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Harosheth Hagoyim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not even one was left. Now Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin the king of Hazor and the house of Heber the Kenite. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, 
Turn aside, my master, turn aside to me. Do not be afraid. And he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. He said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a bottle of milk and gave him a drink. Then she covered him. He said to her, Stand in the doorway of the tent, and it shall be if anyone comes and inquires of you, and says, Is there anyone here, that you shall say, No. But Jael, Heber's wife, took a tent peg and seized a hammer in her hand, and went secretly to him and drove the peg into his temple, and it went through into the ground. For he was sound asleep and exhausted, so he died. And behold, as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. And he entered with her, and behold, Sisera was lying dead with the tent peg in his temple. So God subdued on that day Jabin the king of Canaan, before the sons of Israel. The hand of the sons of Israel pressed heavier and heavier upon Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, the king of Canaan. All right, so we started today's reading on a very high note, and then it got downhill from there. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's it's not really a laughing matter, but I laugh because this is the direction that Israel always goes. And again, by extension, we all go this way. So I'm not picking on Israel and being mean to them because they are just a representation of us in our human condition. So we started with the last chapter of Joshua where he challenged them and he reminded them of everything that God has done from the very beginning even as far back as Terah, before Abraham, and then everything that led up to this point. And one thing that's interesting to note as well is that he mentions in chapter 24, verse 12, that he sent hornets before them. And so I'm not sure exactly what that is, if, he, if it is literal hornets that he sent into the land of Canaan, or if it was something else. It's not really clear, but... Either way, something was sent out by God to drive out some of these Amorites. It wasn't the people that conquered them. So I don't know if it was an actual hornet or not, or if this is some sort of figurative language, because sometimes Egypt is considered a hornet in figurative language, so I'm not really sure. But the main point to get out of here is the oath that they made with Joshua. Because he says, okay, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and truth, and discard. I don't even say put away. The, the, the actual word to use here would be to discard, to cast out, to utterly forsake these idols and fully serve the Lord. But then he gives them a choice, and it's a choice that they give themselves every time. He's just verbalizing it. You need to make a choice. Are you going to choose to follow the Lord, or are you going to choose to follow something else? It's that simple. You cannot have it both ways. Choose this day to serve the Lord. Whatever you choose to follow, my house, my family, we are going to serve the Lord. And then all the people said, yes, of course, we will serve the Lord. He's done all this stuff for us. He has led us this far, and of course we'll serve the Lord. And Joshua says, you're not going to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. If you forsake the Lord, then he's going to cause harm to you, and he will consume you. And they said, no, 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 of course not. We're going to serve the Lord. Absolutely. And Joshua said, all right. I am a witness of what you're saying, and then I'm going to put up this large stone right by the tabernacle, and it's going to show that you guys said this. And they said, sure, sure, of course, absolutely. And then Joshua dies, 
and what happens immediately after Joshua dies. The very next generation forgets the Lord. And then we begin the cycle of Judges. So this is what the cycle of Judges is. The cycle of Judges starts with Israel serving the Lord. They're on track, right? But then either usually a generation goes by and Israel falls into sin and they start their idolatry. Start serving another god. So all these Baals, Asherahs, and whatever. Then God is upset with them, so then he sends them into slavery, or he allows them to get conquered. Then as they're getting conquered, Israel is under their oppression for a while, until they reach a point where they cry out to the Lord. And then the Lord responds every time. He responds by taking action in their favor, by raising up a judge. And this is before kings were a part of the Jewish people. So this person was meant to be a warrior governor, if you will, like a warrior king, a redeemer. And this redeemer would be raised, would be imbued with the power of the Holy Spirit, and he would deliver Israel from their oppressors. And then they would help Israel stay on track with obeying the Lord. But as soon as that judge died, then the cycle starts all over again. They fall into idolatry, they get enslaved, they cry out to the Lord, another judge comes up, and they save Israel, rinse and repeat. Over and over and over and over. For a little over 300 years, this goes on, until we go to the last judge, which is Samuel. Now, we don't really know who wrote the book of Judges, but um, according to traditions from the Talmud, which is a the Pharisaic book, it suggests Samuel did. He was alive during the time of Samson, which was the last judge before him that we're going to read in the book of Judges. And he also, this also claims to have been written after King Saul was crowned, but before David became king. So somewhere in between there is where we suspect Samuel may have written the book of Judges. But we're not really sure exactly who wrote it, but that's the time period that it shows. So we start off with the first judge, which is Othniel. I told you we were going to see this guy again. So he's the one that um, challenged the king of Mesopotamia, and he saved the people of Israel from him, and they had rest for 40 years after that. Then there was another king, Eglon, from Moab, who captured Israel and recruited the other enemies, Ammon and Amalek, which we know the Amalekites are the sworn enemies of God. And then they raised up Ehud, which is personally my favorite guy, only because he's left-handed. That's the only guy in the Bible that I know about that is mentioned to be left-handed. I am left-handed, and so I take great pride in seeing a successful left-handed person in the Bible, but that's just me. So obviously, your average person today as well are right-handed. And so it's very odd, especially in the Bible times and ancient in the ancient world in general, to have somebody who's left-handed. So because the right hand is considered to be the hand of strength, and the left hand is considered to be the inferior hand, not only because that's what you, sorry, but that's what you wipe with when you use the restroom, but that your, your dominant hand is considered to be the right hand. So he did something that they did not expect. They He hid his sword on his right side, which your average person would never do that because they would be right-handed. And so therefore, they would have to reach over on their left side to pull out a sword. But in this case, Ehud played to that strength of his, and he hid it on the other side. And he murdered the king of Moab, Eglon. And apparently, he was a very fat man 
as it says here. We don't know how fat that is, but it's got to be really fat if God says it's fat. So this guy must be humongous. So fat that when Ehud stabbed him with his sword, the handle went all the way inside of him and the fat closed over the blade. I mean, that is a, that's a big guy. To where it didn't even come out the other side when he stabbed him. That's how fat he was. And the fat just, just basically just ate his sword. I mean, <laughs> that's a big boy. But that was that one blow was enough to kill him. And so he locked the door to this roof chamber, the coolest room in his palace. And they locked the door. And so, you know, the, the servants, oh, you know, he's going to the bathroom. No big deal. We'll just let him be, mind his own business. But then it got to be too long, and they're like, okay, I hope he's okay in there. And then, okay, we just need to go in there, see what's going on, and they find him dead. And so after what Ehud did, the land was safe for 80 years. Then you see a, like a, literally one verse for a judge, Shamgar. We don't know where he's from, and we don't know who he fought besides the Philistines or why. We don't know anything about it except that he fought Philistines, and he killed 600 of them with an ox goad. Now, an ox goad, usually in those days, was a very long instrument, say between six to eight feet long, you know, a little over two meters in length. Um, it had a spoke on one end, and it had like a chisel-shaped blade on the other side. So normally they would use an ox goad for like cleaning plows. But you can imagine by this description, it's long, it's thin, it's sharp, kind of sounds like a spear. So basically, it sounds like Shamgar used this as a spear, and he killed 600 men with it. So that's quite a valiant warrior. But it's a shame he only gets one verse in the whole story here. And then we come to the fourth one, which is Deborah. She is the judge. Now, hold on. A female, a woman being a judge? Why not? What's wrong with that? Yes, in this culture, women were not usually in a prominent position like this, but God does things in a non-traditional way. So there, she is not the first time there was a prophetess. If we recall, the sister of Moses... Miriam was also a prophetess. And the ones that will come after Deborah, there are a few in the Bible. There are other prophetesses that will come about after Deborah, even as far as into the New Testament, right? If you remember, there was one named Anna in uh, the Gospel of Luke that met baby Jesus, and she was the last prophetess that we know of until Philip's four daughters in the book of Acts. They were prophetesses too. So it's not unusual to have prophetesses. But anyway, she was given the word of the Lord to a man named Barak. And Barak apparently was some sort of military commander. And so they went up and they were going to fight against a Canaanite king, and so they went to battle with him. They were afraid because he had a lot of iron chariots. Deborah declared that the Lord was going to conquer them for him, and he did. And then we see how the, the commander here, Sisera, was killed. Pretty graphic, but it was a fitting end for this person. And so we're not done with Deborah yet. Chapter 5 will be a song that Deborah and Barak sing and victory. But so we'll we'll see that and then we're going to go into the story of Gideon. And that will take up most of our time tomorrow. Very briefly, I wanted to address some spiritual truth from this. What can we learn from the book of Judges? First of all, Again, we cannot get angry with the people of Israel. We are the exact same way. We constantly 
stray away from the Lord. But what does it? What causes us to stray away from the Lord? It's our nature, yes. But it's also what we surround ourselves with, right? That's why God, from the very beginning, wanted Israel to eliminate the people in the land of Canaan. And we see chapter 1 of the book of Judges, where it shows every single tribe, or almost every single tribe, fail in what God told them to do. And they did not trust the Lord to clear this land. And then it says why God allowed it to happen. In chapter 2, it says that he allowed these people to not be driven out among them so that they could he could test Israel, whether they will keep the way of the Lord or not. And so it says at the end of chapter 2, the Lord allowed these nations to remain, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua because they were going to be the what tested Israel. Because not all had experienced any of the wars of Canaan, and they were to be taught war. They were taught war. So that is the reason why God allowed it. That's why God didn't get upset with them at that moment, because he knew they were going to fail. And he knew they were going to stray. Joshua said it too. He said, you guys are not going to follow the Lord. And they said, no, no, of course we will. No, you're not. And sure enough, the next generation, they did not. So this was something I asked yesterday. Why did not the next generation obey and follow the Lord like their parents did? My personal belief in this is that they did not properly teach their children how to worship the Lord. Their parents were the ones that had to deal with a lot of this stuff firsthand. They were the ones marching in the desert. They were the ones that conquered the land themselves. And their families did not have to do any of that. By the time their children or their grandchildren were born, they had already settled in the land. And they didn't know anything about what was before them. That's why the, the law was written. That's why it's so descriptive. So you can understand in great detail what had happened to this nation. And the cautions upon cautions upon cautions not to repeat the same mistakes that the ancestors did. And yet they continued to do it. So the two things that we see here that we need to take away from this reading is, one, we need to separate ourselves. That was the whole point for Israel being what it is. He called them to be separate from the nations around them, to be different, to be holy, to be righteous by obeying the law of God. So we need to do the same thing. We should not be associating with evil. Nor should we be allowing things in our lives to coexist with us that are sinful. We should cast out every sin that ensnares us. Our addictions, our weaknesses, the things of this world that we tolerate or that we like to do, even though we know deep down inside it's not what God would want us to do, those things need to go. Only then can we serve God with a pure, full heart. Because if not then we are trying to serve two masters and we will fail. Secondly is look how serious this is on teaching the next generation how to be godly people. Are you doing that? Are you teaching your children how to be godly people? Do you conduct your household in a way that honors the Lord? Do you talk about God with your kids at the dinner table? with devotion time, prayer time? Or are they just hearing it on Sunday? That's not enough. It should be a daily thing. What did God say in his law? This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you will be careful to do according to all that is written in it. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Talk about it when you're on the way, when you get up, when you lay down, throughout the day. Put it as the doorposts of your house. You see all this figurative language to show that everywhere, everything you do, you talk about the Lord to your children and to the people who need to hear the gospel. That is what we're called to do, because if we don't take spiritual leadership, especially men, I'm talking mostly to men, if you don't take spiritual leadership in your family, your kids are not going to do it if they don't know what to do. Just like it says in the book of Proverbs, teach a child the way they should go, and even when they're old, they will not depart from it. We are supposed to teach them. It's not the wife's job. It's not the church's job. It is your job. When you get home from work every day, those kids are your kids at that point. And what you do, what you say, is going to determine their spiritual health and their ability to be successful adults. It's a big responsibility to be a father and to be a husband. It is but it is a holy calling. And we need to honor the Lord in what we do. So I challenge you to have your hearts correct before the Lord. Choose for yourself this day who you're going to serve. Are you going to serve the Lord or are you going to serve Satan? Because that's the only alternative. If we don't serve the Lord, even if we say we're serving ourselves, we're serving Satan. We are different. We are separate. And we need to be separate. We need to cast out the things of this world and not coexist with it. That doesn't mean we remove ourselves from the world, but we do not associate with the things that are evil. But that's all I have for today. We'll go more into the story of the judges in the coming days. Thank you for your time. I'm Ryan. I appreciate you coming this far with me. We'll see you next time. Take care and God bless.